Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 52 of the John Riley Project. It's Monday, May 20th, 2019. We're broadcasting from the city in the country, Poway, California, 92064. It's not 90210. It's 92064. And um, hey, thanks for joining us. Um, Welcome, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Justin Amash today. Um, lots of news swirling around the congressman from Michigan. Um, but before we get into it, you know, what have you been doing over the weekend? I bet a lot of you are watching Game of Thrones, had the big finale yesterday, uh, last night, and lots of commentary out there in social media. Um, I was talking to my son, Trevor. I was talking to some friends of mine, and everyone's got opinions. And, you know, overall, I thought they did a pretty good job wrapping it up, considering what they were dealing with. But later in the podcast, we'll have a little miniature Game of Thrones segment Well, I'll share a couple of thoughts. Um but um, another interesting thing over the weekend happened with me, uh, my family. We were at um, San Diego State University for senior day for the baseball team. Um, they had a game against the University of New Mexico. I did a special podcast episode about senior day at San Diego State. It was very, very moving, emotional experience. Um, I invite you to check it out. It's in my John Riley Project Insiders group. This is a special closed group in Facebook. So, you know, I have my regular John Riley Project Facebook group, but the John Riley Project Insiders group is a special, you know, invitation only. You have to answer a couple of questions. Um, so if you find it on Facebook, just ask to join. I'll let you in. You just answer a few simple questions. Um, and we have a smaller kind of more tightly knit community where we share some information there. Um, and I did a podcast about... Um, you know, savoring special moments um, and about embracing change um, as it applied to Senior Day at San Diego State and the baseball program. So I invite you to check that out on the John Riley Project Insiders Group Facebook page. Um, but let's let's talk about Justin Amash and um, just unbelievable the the storm of controversy that has happened. Now, first of all. What what happened? Okay, just, who is Justin Amash? Okay, Justin Amash is a Republican congressman from Michigan, and over the weekend he put together a series of tweets making a claim that um, that President Trump has met the criteria to be brought forward in an impeachment trial uh, before Congress. And this was a huge piece of news because, you know, of course, the Democrats have been talking about impeachment of President Trump. But here is now the first Republican that actually brought it forward. And, you know, since he has said that, just a total, you know, storm of just you know, pushback and, and all kinds of controversy has happened as a result. But first of all, let's talk about who is Justin Amash. Now, first of all, uh, he's a guy that I have personally always really liked. He's one of the very few congressmen in, in D.C. that I thought was closely aligned with my own political values. Now, I talk about my podcast as, you know, embracing the the um, higher purpose of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, you know, those those words aren't chosen at random. You know, those are those are our inalienable rights that come from our Declaration of Independence. And 
if you look at Justin Amash, he is a congressman that really stands for liberty, probably more than anybody in D.C. And, you know, there's the Liberty Caucus, you know, that's within that's in Congress and the Liberty Caucus were largely a lot of these so-called fiscal conservatives that were elected in the 2010 Tea Party wave. And for the most part, the, the, the Liberty Caucus has sort of gone off the deep end, you know, approving these massive budgets and sinking our nation deeper and deeper into debt and, you know, approving Trump's budgets of like roughly a trillion dollar deficit. So the Liberty Liberty Caucus has in many ways um, lost any sort of credibility. But Amash has always been in that group, one of the lone, I guess, uh, the lone fighters for liberty. Um, in fact, he, he gets a liberty score with a letter grade A from the conservative review. And the people that are attacking him, his fellow Republicans, often get terrible scores on the liberty index. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, one of the leaders in Congress, gets an F on the Liberty score from the conservative report, uh, conservative review. And, um, you know, but they're attacking Amash with a perfect A score. So he is a, he's a stand up guy for Liberty, you know, about, about uh, protecting individual rights, maximizing individual freedom, deregulation of the economy uh, to free up the free market. He's a big free market guy. And he's for um, reducing government spending, balancing budgets uh, that and he doesn't just talk the talk he walks the walk and if you follow his um, his voting uh, track record um, that's the way he votes and what makes him remarkable as a congressman is that after every vote he posts in Facebook an explanation of what he voted for and why and what his decision making criteria is and what his principles are that guided him to vote the way he did. I mean, that in and of itself makes him a very special person in Congress. I mean, this is a guy that is transparent. He doesn't hide from his votes. He puts it out there. He, he shows that he gives it deep thought. And then he explains the principles behind the way he votes. I mean, imagine if everyone else in Congress did that. It'd be a completely different culture. He does that, which makes him special. Justin Amash has always consistently defended the Constitution. In fact, he has come under um, under the gun from his own Republicans for years, where they expect him to fall in line and be 100 percent supportive of Trump. And he's often said, my role as a congressman isn't to 100 percent support President Trump, the president of the United States. Instead, my role as a congressman is to 100 percent Defend the Constitution. And again, wonderful. This is a man that sticks to his principles. He understands his um, the boundaries of his authority. He also um, sticks to those principles, even in the face of huge partisan conflicts. And that often puts him at odds with his own party. I mean, it takes a man of strong character to be able to do that in today's political environment. This man has consistently done so. He is also um, frequently called out the, the um, how should I say, the, the, the foolishness, the excessive drama, the dysfunction of 
the partisan nature of politics of the Republican and Democrat parties, the duopoly, he comes in and attacks both of them um, and does it from a righteous position. And I give him huge credit. I've always supported this guy. I mean, for the longest time, there used to always be three elected congressmen. Actually, let me say there were four elected uh, officials in D.C. that I've always generally supported. Um, And, you know, the first one was always, well, amongst the elected ones today. Um, The first was always Rand Paul. And I've always been a fan of him. But since Trump was elected, Rand kind of went sideways. And and so I'm no longer on his uh, his cheer cheerleading squad. But um, uh, Thomas Massey has generally been a really good congressman from Kentucky, Justin Amash from Michigan, and then Senator Mike Lee from Utah. They all they all embrace individual rights. They all embrace liberty. They all embrace expanding individual freedom. And they also embrace restricting the power of the state um, to regulate the economy, to regulate personal lives to a degree. None of these guys are perfect. They have their flaws. But amongst the, the cesspool of D.C., I always thought these four were some of the better ones. And Justin Amash really has always been at the top of that list because he's so principled and he's so transparent. Um, and and now he's under fire. So what what happened? So he, he actually issued um, a series of tweets, and I, I want to read them and comment on them because they're so important. Um, and he did this. I mean, what he did took incredible bravery, huge, huge guts. It's something that a lot of congressmen never in a million years would they do this. Uh, a lot of congressmen are, are are weak and unprincipled and are just trying to slither by in the next election. He took a risk, a huge risk. And we'll talk about what the fallout of this is. But let me step through this. So. Um, He said, uh, Justin Amash, here are my principal conclusions. Number one, Attorney General Barr has deliberately misrepresented the Mueller report. President Trump has engaged in impeachable conduct. Number three, partisanship has eroded our system of checks and balances. And number four, few members of Congress have read the Mueller report. And he's absolutely right on every one of these counts. So let's step through it. Amash went on to say, I offer these conclusions only after having read Mueller's redacted report carefully and completely, having read or watched pertinent statements and testimony, and having discussed this matter with my staff who thoroughly reviewed materials and provided me with further analysis. Now, that in and of itself is remarkable. I mean, this is a document, I think it was over 400 pages. I mean, virtually none of the congressmen actually read it. He did. He actually took the time to do his job and go through the report and and analyze it and then actually stand up, um, be an upstander, as Marion Kim Phelps from Poway Unified would say, to be an upstander and share his opinion. So he actually read it, um, which is unbelievable that that's some sort of an accomplishment. <laughs> but in D.C., it is. Um, he went on to say, In comparing Barr's principal conclusions, congressional testimony, and other statements to Mueller's report, it is clear that Barr intended to mislead the public about special counsel Robert Mueller's analysis and findings. Well, that's 
obvious. I mean, you know, Barr came out with what a four page executive summary and they were trying to hide the redacted report. So they were clearly trying to mislead. And Attorney General Barr really is just trying to defend the president rather than actually defend the rule of law, defend the Constitution. Amash goes on. Barr's misrepresentations are significant, but often subtle, frequently taking the form of sleight of hand, qualifications, or logical fallacies, which he hopes people will not notice. Okay, yeah, that's uh, a little bit of the slickness of D.C. He goes further, Amash. Under our Constitution, bravo Amash by citing the Constitution, under our Constitution, the president shall be removed from office on impeachment for conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. He went on to say, while high crimes and misdemeanors is not defined, the context implies conduct that violates the public trust. Well, I mean, I don't need to make a list for you, but there is... A avalanche of cases where President Trump has violated the public trust, um, and many of which were discussed in the Mueller report, but just a, a mountain of it uh, beyond the scope of that. Um, contrary to Barr's portrayal, Mueller's report reveals that President Trump engaged in specific actions and pattern of behavior that met the threshold for impeachment. So, you know. Congressman Amash has gone through this himself. He has read it. He has made his own analysis. And according to his analysis, the president's behavior has met the threshold of impeachment. So that doesn't mean he thinks the president needs to be impeached and kicked out of office. He, what he's saying, we need to go through the process. You know, we have to have a vote to see if he will be indicted. That's what an impeachment is. Impeachment doesn't mean he's removed. Impeachment means that the House is actually going to have a trial and to and, and to go through the process of determining if he's indicted. Actually, it's not really a trial, but they're going to review the evidence and determine if he is um, if he if there is a, a case to be made in a court of law. And then that court would, would become the Senate and then they would vote to remove him or not. So. He is determined on his own analysis that the president has met the threshold for for impeachment. And he said impeachment, which is a special form of indictment, does not even require probable cause that a crime such as obstruction of justice has been committed. It simply requires a finding that an official has engaged in careless, abusive, corrupt or otherwise dishonorable conduct. Well, that's obvious. I mean, the, the President Trump has definitely done that. So, you know, is it, it will the he thinks it's met the, the threshold for impeachment, but he just wants the process to go forward. The due process allow the rule of law to take place and then the president will be properly evaluated through that process. While impeachment should be undertaken only in extraordinary circumstances, the risk we face in an environment of extreme partisanship is not that Congress will employ it as a remedy too often, but rather the Congress will employ it so rarely that it cannot deter misconduct. And that's very true as well. In fact, 
Congress has largely just, you know, wimped out on so many things. They refuse to take stands on important issues, and they have now, over the decades, have been transferring more and more power to the executive branch um, and the whole regulatory state, um, the co- Congress, because they don't want to take a stand for fear of being on the wrong side of an issue and losing an election, they've essentially punted. And so now, um, when because of the partisanship, now the and because of their unwillingness to take strong stands, impeachment is rarely ever used or even threatened, and it just gives more latitude for bad behavior to continue. So using the impeachment process is a good thing to kind of whip the other branches of government into shape uh, to keep them in 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 their lane, you know, within the boundaries. Um, it's a way of holding other branches of, of the government accountable, in this case, the executive branch. He goes on to say, our system of checks and balances relies on each branch's jealously guarding its powers and upholding its duties under our Constitution. When loyalty to a political party or to an individual trumps loyalty to the Constitution, the rule of law, the foundation of liberty, crumbles. And he's right again, because when partisanship is so deeply engaged, where you're just so obsessed with defending your team and attacking the other team, that it's done in such a distorted fashion that the actual objective rule of law is often just quick kicked. It's often dismissed. It's often, um, how should I say, twisted to meet the needs of the partisanship. So he's absolutely right. Um, Checks and balances require the three branches of government jealously holding on to their power and exercising it. But Congress has been wimping out. I'm going to continue with more of Amash's tweets. We've witnessed members of Congress from both parties shift their views 180 degrees on the importance of character, on the principles of obstruction of justice, depending on whether they're discussing Bill Clinton or Donald Trump. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, the hypocrisy is unbelievable. Um, Remember, um, going into the 2000 election, the Republicans were so infuriated with President Clinton's behavior you know, with the Monica Lewinsky scandal and a number of other issues that they wanted to restore dignity back to the White House. And now here we are, you know, with President Trump and restoring dignity. <laughs> um, so, again, it, there's hypocrisy. And, uh, and, and it's not just with the Republicans. The Democrats do it, too, where if it's their guy in, um, in, the, in the White House, then they give him slack. And if it's the other team's guy, then they come after him hard um, and often violating those principles, you know, showing hypocrisy along the lines of those principles that they use. Few members of Congress even read Mueller's report. Their minds were made up on partisan affiliation, and it showed with representatives and senators from both parties issuing definitive statements on the 448 page report's conclusions with ju- within just hours of its release. Well, there you go again. So there's no way, <coughs> excuse me, there is no way in hell that those congressmen and senators could have read the 448-page report in two hours. I mean, it's impossible. 
but they had their prepared talking points, their prepared press releases um, ready to go because they were battling not on the rule of law, not on objectiveness. They were battling on partisanship and distortion of the law. Um, So give him credit. Um, Amash read 448 pages, convened with his staff, reviewed it, analyzed it, and then he could have just, you know, decided not to say anything, just go along to get along. But instead, he stood up and and said, we've met the threshold for impeachment, which is amazing that he's doing this. Amazing in a great way. America's institutions depend on officials to uphold both the rules and spirit of our constitutional system when to do so is personally inconvenient or yields a politically unfavorable outcome. Our Constitution is brilliant and awesome. It deserves a government to match it. So, ah, just so fantastic. Um, And I would hope that, you know, whether if you're listening, if you're watching, maybe you're a Trump lover or a Trump hater. Um, and, and, and I would hope that you could see this, though, for what it is, is that it's a guy that has stood to his own principles, that has done his job, that has read the report, done the analysis, and then came forward with his own opinion. Um, and he did so publicly. He put it on the record. Even though he knew he was going to get a mountain full of shit from it, and he did, and it's continuing. So I am just unbelievably impressed with this um, because of the bravery. And it's interesting, too, because over the weekend, um, I had uh, – I added a new journal entry in um, my johnreillyproject.com Website. I have a journal there where I update um, things that I'm thinking about or things that are going on with the podcast. And one of the things I was encouraging myself to do was to be braver, um, to to be again, Marion Kim Phelps. I give you props. Uh, be an upstander. Speak out when you see things that are not right. Um, stand by your principles. And I personally need to do more of that, um, especially if I want to make this podcast successful. But even for my own personal integrity, I need to do more of that. Um, and to be brave, speak out, do it in a civil way, a respectful way, um, but to not back down. It's like the Tom Petty song, I Won't Back Down. So, Amash is doing this, um, and and it's beautiful because because it's it's so consistent with how he has acted as a congressman since he was elected in 2010. He has always been this guy. I mean, if you look at his Twitter feed going back years, he's often commenting on these issues, and he's frequently out of step with the Republicans. Um, not just because. I guess you could say he's an oddball in that case, but but really what he's saying is is that he will stick to his principles regardless of what the party does. And I always have great respect for people like that. Um, you know, there there are a couple of really good examples of of two, you know, popular people in politics that are very principally minded. One is Ron Paul, and one is um, Bernie Sanders. And um, and Bernie Sanders, you know, he's he's the one in office. Ron Paul's retired. But Bernie Sanders is a guy that I have 
always respected him. I don't agree with his policies. Well, there's a few policies of Bernie's I like, but the vast majority of Bernie's policies I strongly oppose. In my opinion, they are inconsistent with our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And heck, that might be a good conversation with a, with a guest here in the podcast studio. But I've always thought that Bernie's policies of socialism or democratic socialism are ones that that violate our right to our own life and violate our right to liberty. Um, but I will, I've always respected the guy because he stuck to it. He never backed down. He was always consistent with his message, even in um, the strongest headwinds. And now was good for Bernie, but the Democrats are kind of coming around and supporting his point of view in much greater degrees each election cycle. And he's making a difference. And I think he's making a difference because he's so credible. And that credibility comes from his consistency and his stick to itiveness on his principles. And that's what Amash is doing here. He's sticking to his principles. And so I respect that. And if you're a person that greatly supports President Trump, I hope you can see that in Amash, that he is sticking to his principles. You may not like what he's saying, but hopefully you can see that consistency. Now, what's going on? What's the, the, the reaction from all this? And um, well, the first is, of course, you were just waiting for President Trump to fire back. And he, you know, tweeted, oh, they, he called Amash a loser and a total lightweight. And this is what you'd expect from him. And this is part of one of the things that I really have a problem with President Trump, because he sees the world as a win-lose proposition where he's the winner and you're the loser. That's the loser. In this case, Amash, you're a loser. Um, where I like to see the the world through the lens of a win-win, where two groups get together, two people get together, they trade, they exchange, they both do better as a result. There's a win-win outcome. Um, to me, that's you know, driving for win-win outcomes is a um, a mark of a good leader, a mark of someone that can unite and divide, uh, unite us together. Um, and uh, and to me, it's it's um, aligned with individual rights, free markets, um, you know, liberty. I mean, all of that is all about achieving win-win outcomes because um, I can get what I want if I can help you get what you want. And if we can help each other and we do it voluntarily, we can emerge from this, both of us, better off. That's win-win. Trump, on the other hand, sees the world as win-lose. And in this case, he's, he's, he's demonstrating that by calling Amash, oh, he's a loser, a total lightweight. And so it's just, I mean, I, I expected this from Trump. Um, this is also putting uh, Justin Amash at risk of losing his um, his congressional seat. Already now a, a Trump supporter, I think he's in the Michigan State Senate or State Assembly, has announced that he's going to run against him. And so they're trying to primary uh, Amash and get him out of office. And so, again, what you're seeing here is it's not so much about – Different people with different points of view and, and having a free exchange of ideas, a battle of ideas. Instead, this is about sticking to party loyalty. It's it's being loyal. And if you are not loyal, you will be cast aside. And um, 
And in this case, that's what they're doing is they're trying to diminish him. And they're, and then you're seeing all the ta- the attacks are coming now, you know, against him personally, against his family. Um, they're just trying to tear him down. And that's coming from not just the Trump organization, but it's also coming from all the media and all of the, I guess, support organizations that are that support President Trump, support, you know, alt-right causes, et cetera. So it's um, it's just so toxic. You know, it used to be that um, in Washington, D.C., you know, it wasn't all about this partisanship, about being aligned with your party. And if you took one step one way or the other outside of the lockstep of the party, it used to be tolerated. You know, people had different opinions, different views. Now, if you demonstrate, if, if you're a Republican and you demonstrate any disloyalty to the president, you're immediately, um, you know, castigated. You're a traitor and, and you must be removed and, um, and you are a loser and you're um, a lightweight and, and we're going to get you out of there. And it's like, my God, um, so and, and the ironic thing is, is that this is a guy that from, you know, the, the conservative uh, review, one of the, you know, the, the most conservative publications, Amash gets great rankings from them um, on the scores of liberty. And the Republicans, of course, generally don't. So he's actually walking the walk as well as talking the talk. So. Um, all right. So, gee whiz, I had my my little notes here on my on my tablet and then they just went off the screen. So now I got to find them again. Oh, here we go. And uh right there. Okay. Come on. There it goes. So um you know, so what's going to happen to Amash? Um he won his last election with 54% of the vote in 2018. Is he going to run again in 2020? Is he going to get primaried out? Is this going to help him or, or hurt him in the election? This could go a lot of different ways. And I think this will be really interesting to watch um, because will some independents, maybe even some Democrats support Amash? I think some will. Will some Trump supporters from 2016 um, maybe see things differently in the 2020 election cycle and vote differently? Maybe. Um, or is is Amash doomed? Is he going to be primaried or certainly lose in the general election? I think these are all outstanding questions. But Amash, just as an aside, is has been um, has been being wooed by the Libertarian Party for like probably the last six to nine months um, about potentially running as a presidential candidate especially since Bill Weld um, abandoned the Libertarian Party and decided to run as a Republican. So that's a, that's a possibility for Amash. But if Amash decided to run as a Libertarian in the 2020 election uh, for president, he might increase his profile a little bit, but he would lose elective office. He wouldn't be able to maintain a seat because he would no longer be a Republican and he would be, um, you know, dismissed by his party. And at the same time, there's no way in hell he'd ever win because the system for especially for president of the United States is completely rigged for Republicans and Democrats. So in some ways, I hope he sort of says, you know, F you to the system and fights back, even if he knows he's going to go down to a losing cause. But the question is, is if he's going to do that as a congressman or as a presidential candidate? I don't know. But what does this mean for Trump? Are cracks forming? 
You know, he's the first Republican to call for impeachment. Will another follow? You know, so supposedly this is what um, what Amash said is what a lot of Republicans in D.C. think privately but are afraid to say publicly. So we'll see. Um, stay tuned. Um, I'll just a plug here for the podcast. Um, hey, if you're interested in um, – being a guest, you know a guest that'd like to come on board, let me know. Um, we've had a couple of people actually step forward over the last couple of weeks and have agreed to come on here as a guest. And we're going to discuss some um, some issues, uh, partly um, as a as a as sort of a um, um, part of the continuing process of um, uh, of reviewing the. Poway Chabad shooting. Um, a couple of people have come forward and there's some issues to discuss there. Um, so, you know, if there are any topics that I touch on in this podcast or topics you think should be addressed, let me know. You can reach me on social media, uh, John Riley Poway on Twitter and on Instagram, John Riley Project on Facebook, or you can go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. And there you can get a form and fill that out and let me know your thoughts. Or if you have any guests you'd like to recommend, or maybe you'd like to be a guest, we'd love to have you. Okay, let's get to the good, the bad, and the ugly segment. Um, so we're kind of quick hitting a couple of thoughts on a variety of things. Um, the In the good comment, um, in the good column, let's talk about Pete Buttigieg. Um, he just gave a um, town hall on Fox News, and I've seen just snippets of it. Again, this is another guy that's very brave. Now, Pete Buttigieg, let me just say this up front. I like him as a person. I like his character. I like his intelligence. Um, I think he brings a lot to the table. I largely disagree with many of his policies, but I like him personally. And I love the fact that he did not back down to go on to Fox News. Elizabeth Warren won't do it. Now, granted, she she's playing a different game. Um, she was declining Fox News to fire up her base. She knew that Fox News wasn't going to make a difference for her campaign. Pete Buttigieg is trying to be the the uniter. And so it made sense for him to try to go there and make a case for his positions. And he did that. And I think that was awesome. Um, so I, I want to go back and actually watch the whole thing. But I saw a few clips of it and I loved it. And I have a quote from one of the clips at the conclusion of this podcast. Another one in the good column, the Poway High School varsity baseball team. You guys are doing great. You won Palomar League. You've won two playoff games coming back in um, in, in the bottom of the seventh or in extra innings. It's just a remarkable season. Uh, Poway is going to be playing at Helix tomorrow on Tuesday. I'm hoping to be there to check out the game, uh, maybe even do a live remote broadcast. So um, we'll check in on that. Um, and then Game of Thrones. Um I put this in the good column. I, I loved the series. I told you I've, I've actually watched Game of Thrones three times through, excuse me, all the way through seasons one through seven, three full times. Uh, season eight, I've only watched once. Um, but, you know, season eight, is it, you know, the, the, the writing wasn't as good. Apparently, we've gone beyond uh, George R. R. Martin's books. The screenwriters are having to do some of the writing. The writing isn't as good, isn't as nuanced or complex. And they're having to force, you know, tying the knot on a lot of these characters and storylines. You know, episode, many of the episodes of season six were disappointing from that perspective, but I still loved it. I, I still thought, it, you know, disappointing, meaning it, I expected this. It was still good. 
it didn't it didn't stink. It was still very very good. Just wasn't quite as good as we wanted. Um, but episode six um, that just happened uh, last night. Yeah, you know, I thought it was decent. You know, they they gave some nice conclusions to some of these these characters, potentially setting the stage for sequels. Um, I've been told there might even be prequels, um, but overall good stuff. But a few comments: the scene um, when Jon Snow is at the dock at the pier with Sansa. Braun and Arya, and he's boarding the ship to go up to Castle Black. Um, that struck me. It reminded me of the very end of Lord of the Rings when Bilbo Baggins um, was um, was boarding the ship with Elrond and with Gandalf to go off to the the Elvish city. It had that vibe, and I was thinking about that. It, you know, I was talking to my son Trevor. He brought up a good point. Like, whatever happened to Jon Snow's rightful um, claim to the throne? It seems like that was just ignored. Um, that was odd. Um, Arya, she went off on her own. That makes sense. She decided to go west. I, I never would have expected that. Um, sometimes uh, um, you look at England. You look at Westeros. The map. It sort of, kind of reminds you of Eng- of England. So maybe this is symbolic of you know the you know the when the you know the European explorers came to North America. So I don't know. But Arya, you know, she's gonna you know is this a a potential sequel for Arya to feature her as the uh, as the warrior, um, you know, going to new lands and having new adventures. I, I hope so. Um, I thought she was just a fantastic character. Um, loved how it all wrapped up for Sansa. You know, in the very beginning in season one, she was pathetic and weak and sniveling, but she was young. And as she got older, she became stronger and more mature and showed more and more leadership. And she was very brave as well. Um, She decided that she was going to stick to her pledge to her people that the North would never bend a knee to another king. Um, And so she stood by that. She was anointed the queen of the North. And I just loved even just what she wore, you know, at the end she was wearing, you know, black leather uh, and she just looked tough and strong, uh, but still elegant um, and still very queen-like. And I love seeing her stick to those principles, just like Justin Amash did. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the old crew at King's Landing um, in the small council with um, Tyrion as the hand of the king, it's just like, you know, same old story. Here we go in King's Landing again. So I, I was cool with it. I thought the ending was acceptable. Um, and uh, I just love the series overall. I thought it was overall, it was such great work. And I think, yeah, we can pick it apart, but Overall, I feel really good about it. Um, Also in the good column, Kawhi Leonard, man. San Diego State product. The dude is just so special playing for the Toronto Raptors. You know, that game-winning buzzer beater in Game 7 against the Philadelphia 76ers was amazing. Um, Last night, I watched the double overtime game against Milwaukee. He is a special guy. I mean, not just because he's a San Diego guy, um, but he has worked 
his ass off. He's worked so hard um, to improve his craft. And, um, you know, he spends hours and hours practicing, preparing. He's usually at the Jam Center at San Diego State during the off season, working on different little moves over and over again. In fact, that that buzzer beater shot he had in game seven against the Philadelphia, it was a crazy shot um, that bounced five times on the rim that went in. But that's a shot that he has practiced hundreds of times, according to the stories that I've heard. He's worked on every one of these little things, and now he's achieving success. I'm really rooting for him. And uh, is this is his team have enough to get over on uh, Milwaukee? I don't know. Um, Giannis is a darn good player from Milwaukee. Um, we'll see. And then, you know, they'll be facing potentially the winner of that will probably be facing the Warriors. Um, in the bag column, a couple of things. Number one, the Padres. What the hell happened to the Padres? Ever since Tatis got hurt, it seems that they just can't hit. Sometimes the pitching is struggling. And so, um, you know, some of us, I think, got our hopes up a little higher than they should have been. Maybe our expectations were set too high because they got off to such a great start. But 2019 was never meant to be the competitive year. I think they were always talking about 2020 and 2021 and 2022. We saw glimpses of it early. Losing Tatis is hurt. Um, but can the Padres get back on track? I'm hope I'm hopeful. I think when Tatis does get back, it'll greatly help. Um, and I, they definitely need more starting pitching. Uh, maybe we're going to see Logan Allen coming up from AAA. Maybe they're going to make a deal. But I think the story is still unfolding. Um, but it is nice to at least have hope. But right now they're on a bad skid. I Hopefully they're going to turn it around. Also in the bag column, the San Diego Association of Governments, SANDAG, um, recently um, did a bait and switch on the voters of San Diego County. Um, years ago, they um, put forward a proposal for a increase in our sales tax, and, and that money was earmarked and promised for expansion of freeways. Um, and just in the last couple of weeks, they did a, an about face. And instead of expanding freeways, they want to expand more mass transit and a number of other initiatives. And people in North County along the 78, people along the 56 freeway um, that had promises made for wider freeways, more lanes are now finding out they're reneging on those promises. Um, that's very disappointing. Now, we can have a conversation, a discussion of what the transportation infrastructure should be, what are the right answers. But when you make a promise and you get people paying, uh, agreeing to pay a sales tax increase, and then you renege on that promise, that's a problem. And I think what they should have done is been able to accommodate as many of those promises as they could while still trying to explore alternative means of expanding transportation. But to me, that was really disappointing. And I, we haven't seen the last of this. I know the city of Poway is going to be making some decisions at the city council level on whether or not they want to weigh in as a city to express support or um, dismay with Sandag's recent changes. And then in the ugly column, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. Um, the first one is the visit of Betsy DeVos to Poway Unified School District, um, and it was last week. And Betsy DeVos is a secretary of education and uh, a lightning rod for a lot of progressives. I mean, progressives will literally, you know, 
they 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 all that's one of the one of many things that progressives are all aligned on they all strongly oppose Betsy DeVos and they oppose her personally they oppose her because she's um you know, because of her background and her money, they also oppose her policies. Um, you know, for uh, for school choice, and and there's been a number of other policies that she's put forward that she's that most progressives strongly oppose. Um, I was surprised that not only did she make essentially a surprise appearance here, but that a lot of Democratic elected politicians like Darsh Patel um, was one of them, um, chose to be in photo ops with Betsy DeVos. I was surprised by that. Now, some might say, well, that's the proper thing to do. Um, But in this environment of toxicity, it was interesting that they chose to take that stance. Um, I'm not a fan of Betsy DeVos personally. And I think there's certain things um, in terms of her leadership skills, some of the policies she's put forward, not necessarily a supporter. I am a big supporter of school choice, of vouchers, because I think that can revolutionize the um, education um, marketplace. I think that'll encourage new ways to think out of the box, new ways to take a leap forward with education. I think school vouchers, school choice also give poor children in very weak school districts with very weak educational opportunities. It gives those people in poor families hope and ability to escape from a bad situation and attend other very good either public schools like at Poway Unified or to attend private schools. It gives them hope. It gives them access to better education. I think that's important. Um, so when I see some of the Betsy DeVos, um, you know, photo ops and things here at Poway Unified, you could just feel and see and read the vitriol from so many people. Um, so I just thought it was interesting. And it wasn't announced. She just sort of popped in. And I guess she was invited by some of the people at the school district. So um, I'll put that in the ugly comp because it, it, it was uh, a lot of the reaction was ugly. And um, in many cases, other people view Betsy DeVos as having ugly policy proposals. Um, what else in the ugly column? The Big Stone Lodge here in Poway. Um, that's the uh, uh, it's an historic landmark building here um, in Poway on Old Pomerado Road. I just did a remote podcast from the Big Stone Lodge. Yesterday, and I posted it in the um, John Riley Project Insiders group. That's that special Facebook group that I told you about. And it's also posted in another Facebook group called South and North Poway Votes. I encourage you to take a look at it because I put it in the ugly column because the property is abandoned. The property is an eyesore. It's got a chain link fence around it. Um, and it's a it's really an historical landmark. And it's a it's a nice piece of land, and there's so many possibilities that that something could be done with that land. It could be developed. It could be turned into a park. It could be turned into. It could be refurbished into an historic site. There's so many possibilities. But the one thing that they're doing, the city is doing, because they own the land, is doing nothing. <laughs> it's just putting a chain link fence around it, and it just seems like such a waste. So, um, I. Put together a, a short six-minute podcast um, when I went and did a little walk around the, the area. I encourage you to take a look at it. Um, it's on my John Riley Project Insiders Group Facebook group, and it's also um, – you can access it from the South and North Poway Votes Facebook group. 
And then also in the ugly category, Will Myers of the Padres, just in a terrible slump. Um, I'm always rooting for Will, but he just sometimes can't get out of his own way. He, he's so loaded with talent, but he just creates roadblocks for himself. And I don't know what the answer is. I wish I knew. I know Will's trying to figure it out, but I'm sure he's putting more pressure on him. But his his um, production is going down and it's just becoming grim. So I'm hoping for you, hoping for you, Will. But right now you're in the ugly column and I hope so- shortly to move you up into the good column. Uh, but right now you're having a tough go. Um, what about uh, the John Riley Project on social media? I've already told you about some of my pages. I invite you to reach out and share your comments, suggestions. Follow me um, on Twitter at John Riley uh, Poway, on Instagram at John Riley Poway, on Facebook at John Riley Project. Um, let me know your thoughts. And um, if you see some of the things I'm posting there, you feel like sharing them, great. Um, feel like telling a friend, really would appreciate that. And um, yeah, let's talk about that. If you if you enjoy what we're doing here with this podcast, I would really love your support. What are some things you can do? Like one great thing you can do, one just wonderful gift you can give me is to do a review on iTunes. Just go on iTunes. You can leave a, a one to five star. You can write a two sentence, two paragraph review. That would be so helpful because uh, it gives the podcast more credibility. Um, if you uh, want to share this with a friend, that would be very helpful. Um, just mention it to them or just share one of the social media posts with a link to the podcast. Or you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to our iTunes, our Spotify, our Stitcher podcast channels. All of those would be really helpful. Um, So for those of you that have made it this far in the podcast, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. So let me just close it out with this. And I've talked about Pete Buttigieg. He's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's a Democrat running for president of the United States. He's only 37 years old, which is amazing. A Rhodes Scholar. He's um, a veteran of the Afghanistan war. And he was in the Fox News, um, uh, Fox News town hall. And he was asked about President Trump's tweets. And, and and by the way, I like the fact that politicians use Twitter. I think politicians can use Twitter as a way to get their message out and um, and in, in order to amplify some of the things they're working on. Uh, sometimes there's some gamesmanship play with Twitter. I think that's all good. I think Trump takes it all the way to the extreme. Um, but I encourage politicians to embrace social media. But Pete Buttigieg was asked about Trump's tweets, and he said this, and this is a great closing quote. It's a very effective way to command the attention of the media, Buttigieg said. I think that we need to make sure that we're changing the channel from this show that he's created. And I get it. Look, it's mesmerizing and hard for anyone to look away. Me too. It is the nature of grotesque things that you can't look away. (laughs) And I just thought that was great because um, it took a lot of balls for him to do that, to say that in front of Fox News audience, a Fox News host. And he did it in a playful way, a fun way, but he didn't back down uh, from what he really represented. Um, And he was basically pushing back on a guy that was calling him on Twitter, Alfred E. Newman. So, you know, he's zinging him back in his own way by taking a little bit more of a high road. And I like that approach. So, um, so props to you, Pete Buttigieg for that. So 
that that's it for now. That's the John Riley Project. This is episode number 52. Um, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And I'll be back later. Bye-bye. <laughs>